On Forgotten Gems, we look at some film festival favorites that initially got a lot of attention, but have since either fallen into obscurity or fallen out of favor. We're going to dig them up and relitigate. On this episode, we're looking at Le Lou de Crime, a.k.a. Scene of the Crime, from the year 1986. Welcome to Forgotten Gems. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me, as usual, is my co-host Liam O'Donnell. Liam, today we are talking about the film Scene of the Crime from the year 1986. But before we get into talking about it proper, I had a topic of discussion. By the way, Liam, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you? You know what? <laughs> Not that great. <laughs> no, I just say that as a matter of course. In reality, the world is is both sick and on fire at the same time. So it's a bit of a bummer, but otherwise I'm okay, I guess. This We're recording just a couple of days before this episode releases. So uh, for anyone who's listening to this upon release, you know what we're talking about. The world's in an interesting place right now, I would say, Liam. Well, and I'm not sure what the international response... I You know... I wonder at what point the world, of which I consider you, even though you're our next door neighbor, you're basically an international person. So, you know, a little less than human uh, in a way. Uh, but I wonder what the world thinks when yet again we've let our police murder a black man at what, or a black person at that point. Because just after uh, this incident in um, Minneapolis, there was another one with a with a mm-hmm. trans man, and just before that, there was stuff with various other folks. Like, there, there's constantly violence against uh, the African American community. At what point does the rest of the world go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that thing again. You know what I mean? Like, right. At, at what point do you just do y'all think that's just what it's like there? Um, because I'll tell you what. How many times has this happened since? Trayvon Martin, at least, was the last. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like you could say, the modern sort of outrage over this kind of sparked with Trayvon Martin, and it's happened probably a hundred times since then. And yet, every time, everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, this again!" And and, and I'm always kind of like, "Yeah, we didn't, we didn't change anything, guys." Like, <laughs> right? If you want this to be different, we're gonna have to make some fundamental changes. And and and, and every time, we're amazed. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it happened again. It's, like it's the ruling people are like, are very much like, we yelled at you before. Didn't you learn anything from that? <laughs> so anyway, it'll probably be get worse before it gets, well, I was going to say better, but that's not probably a very realistic view of how things are. Um, I, I don't know about you, Liam, and this is kind of a wider issue. It's felt for the majority of the year 2020 and perhaps uh, previous to that as well, that like there's monthly an incident that feels like things are breaking down to such a degree that that they'll never go back to the way they were before i mean i will say the intervention of covid has really shown us exactly how crazy you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. i think that's a big enough interruption that people are starting to question things i will say you know how many times at these protests have people been able to actually storm a precinct and right. burn it down like i don't know how often that's happened in the past granted i'm not an expert on protests so sure. there might be someone out there who has a, a better understanding of movement stuff that's like oh that's happened before but that feels new to me and i think it represents a cu- accumulation of a lot of frustrations over time but yeah it, it is starting to get exhausting i'm actually uh, i hate to say po- something positive but i actually am a little bit impressed that people have been able to get as upset as they are right now mm-hmm. because for a while there it started to feel like people were not getting upset when folks were killed. And I get right. it that this was a people have been you know, on lockdown for so long that they probably have a lot of pent up frustrations already. Sure. And B that this video was particularly egregious. Um, but it wasn't that much more particularly egregious than a, than some other one. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's an inciting. It's it's a it's a it's a bad case. But yeah. to me, it's not that much worse to explain the level of response. So I hope with each escalated level of response that we'll actually take a step forward. It's just not clear that we will, and that's a bummer. So we're here to talk about a movie. 
We are. That's crazy, right? <laughs> that is not even tangentially related to the topic that we're discussing right now. Uh, but the movie it's is what's on our minds, though, man. It is what's on our minds, and I think that we're uh, we have a right, if not a responsibility, to talk about those things that are on our minds. Uh, scene of the crime from the year 1986. Liam, before we get into the movie proper, there is a topic I wanted to discuss. We were actually kind of talking about it before we even started to record today, which is so this movie, Scene of the Crime, uh, it didn't make a massive splash in the mid 80s, but it certainly was well reviewed. It made uh, a number of top 10 lists. It was uh, nominated for the Palme d'Or at Cannes. Um, but for the most part, it's been forgotten, uh, at least by the, the wider film-loving world as a whole. Um, but And one of the reasons it might be forgotten is that its availability, at least in the West, is extremely limited. In order for us to watch this movie, Liam, you had to sign up for a fairly obscure um, Amazon channel. It, what's not on Amazon Prime regular, you, you had to sign up for one that basically had a bunch of French movies on it. Um, well, that's a company. The Cohen Group is a yes, company that puts exactly, out right. So it's like that, their that, personal channel. And and frankly, and uh, there are like a lot of interesting movies on that channel, but it's unlikely you probably would have subscribed to that if you didn't have a specific movie that you were looking for. Is no, that, but, but that's how. But that's how every channel gets me is because it has that <laughs> one thing, and then I forget to unsign up. Basically, <laughs> well, Liam, you got seven days before <laughs> you got to cancel this one. But, but I wanted to talk about. Sorry, yes, please. Oh yeah, but yeah, it is weird that this. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's not completely uh, uh, forgotten in the sense of Cohen Group has put other stuff out. You know, sure. Uh, they don't quite have the splash. It's not like it's on Kino Lorber. Like I feel like, right, right, right. At this point, Kino Lorber has grown to the point where you're almost breaking through to the mainstream when you're on Kino Lorber. Or, That's and, fair. And, and whatever you can, you know, you're gonna. But Cohen Group, I've I've reviewed enough of their movies to tell you, being on, with Cohen doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna get a Blu-ray. They're still putting out DVDs. At least as of like two years ago, we're putting out mm. DVDs. Uh, what? Like, uh, there are companies considering making the full switch to 4K, and we got a, folks who are still putting out standard def stuff. Like, that's crazy to me, but that's sort of the, where we're at. You know what I mean? And so, um, as much as it's like, okay, well, this movie isn't completely forgotten, a company owns it and has made it available on their channel. What does that mean? Unless you are already familiar with them, it's kind of like, you know, I noticed on uh, Tubi, one of our new favorite apps, they've sure. added Shout Factory as an option on there. Yes. And I thought, well, there's already a Shout Factory app. Why is that on here? And I realized because you're going to get more eyes because it's on Tubi, whereas mm -hmm. you're not going to get the Shout Factory app unless you know what the fuck Shout Factory is. The same right. with this Cohen thing. If I were these Cohen dudes, I'd be like, yo, fuck a, our own channel. Like, let's get on some other channel that actually has eyes on it already. You know, like, let's get people in here. And, and you know, the idea that I'm going to pay almost as much money as I'm paying for HBO just to have access to their catalog, <laughs> it's not strong enough to justify. It's not a bad catalog. Don't be wrong. There's interesting stuff right. on there. I hope I can watch a few things before I cancel. But I'm a cancel man. Like, if there's no way I'm, I'm giving them that much of my money for such a limited catalog. I think about that there's a pretty large uh, and, and I guess young audience out there that if something is not available on a streaming platform, to them it simply isn't available. Uh, and and I, I don't know what that means for the future of film distribution or when it comes to films that are older than just a few years ago. But I think this is an interesting example of a movie that, that you know, again, did get a lot of profile. And even, I guess, back in France has enough of a profile that they did an HD restoration of it just a couple of years ago. But despite that, is not easily available. Uh, and when I say easily, I mean, it's, it's it th this even compared to a lot of other movies, is more available because at least we could watch it in a subtitled form. But you think about all the movies that we look at that played at these festivals that we've been talking about on this show that just aren't available at all. You know, a few years ago, I saw a movie at the Toronto International Film Festival. It was called Bastardo. And uh, I loved it. I thought it was so interesting. And then afterwards, it just wasn't available anywhere. I don't know if it if it got a DVD release. I don't think it even did. It was like extremely obscure, really difficult. I eventually found it on that streaming service Vudu, V U D U for free years later. And but but it was just such a strange example of a movie that right. I saw 
loved and was telling people about and they were like well when when can i see it and i'm like i don't know i don't know when you can ever see it i had the same experience you know for a while i was on pretty good terms uh with the philadelphia film fest and the philadelphia film society and and that was my john uh, i don't know that i can really lift it up too hard now but for for a few years <laughs> i went pretty pretty religiously and i was willing to spend a stupid amount of money every year for a membership in the film society that would get me a pass to the film fest. Uh, and one year when I was doing that, this might have been before I got the pass. I think I was still living in Princeton at the time and I was commuting down for the fest, which by the way, when I was in grad school, that was a stupid thing to do. But I was like, <laughs> I, I care more about movies right now than I do about my education. And so I, I went down and caught a movie called cops K O P P S. And it's a, a Norwegian, Swedish, I don't know, some place where uh, where where white folks are socialist and rich and carefree and probably racist is 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 where this movie's set. Sure. And, and the point of the movie is they've got a whole police department and someone has noticed that there hasn't been any crime for a long time. So they're going to cut the whole police department. And so the police department's like, how do we make up some crimes so they don't close us? Because we want to keep our jobs. Uh, which, by the way, uh, people have often said, like, it's weird that one of your favorite comedies is like a pro cop comedy. I'm like, at <laughs> essence, is it really, though? Because the whole point right. is that these people are useless and they're right. coming up with dumb ideas to keep their jobs. Anyways, the point is this. I saw it at the fest packed room like literally packed to the gills people screaming with laughter this is the funniest shit ever and i'm like i can't wait to show this to people sure no no i couldn't find it anywhere now granted streaming wasn't a thing yet uh right. itunes was a thing but that was the only thing when it came to digital media really that the only real game in town netflix hadn't even switched to streaming yet uh, but i couldn't even get the disc on netflix so i was mm -hmm. like what am i supposed to do here finally the i figured out how to hack my dvd player remember when you could do this <laughs> hack it to turn it into region free yeah i learned the hack to turn my dvd into a region free <laughs> dvd player so that i could get the very limited dvd release from europe of this movie it was for cops. Now, granted, it came in handy for other things, and I ended up getting quite a few region-free, including that Cut of the Devils that I think is widely available now, but at the time, you couldn't get it except for in the UK. And sure. so I was really glad that I did that to my DVD player. But at the time, this was just so I could watch Cops, which, in retrospect, is not as funny on review as I thought it was. <laughs> but at the time, I really thought it was like the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life. It's still funny. Don't be wrong. If you can get a chance to see it, I recommend it. But it's not like... I thought it was like a revelation when I first saw it. Um, and so uh, it is weird to realize that like this, at least again, this is one screening. So who knows? Maybe it died everywhere else. But the idea that you could like pack a house across the country or across the world rather uh, and must have played other festivals because Philly didn't premiere anything. So if it played Philly, it must have played well somewhere else first. So it at least played a couple festivals and did well and then just go away just disappear yeah. and that happens a lot i mean that happened with uh, another example fantastic fest uh, a boy and his samurai it mm -hmm. did really well in american festivals and then there was just disagreements about right stuff and about release and then it just kind of went away and mm -hmm. from what i understand it's i don't i still don't think it has a home video release outside of japan and that's crazy to me it's like actually insane to me because it's such a good movie it is one of the things that makes going to a film festival interesting is like kind of tracing the fate of these movies afterwards, especially ones that don't necessarily make a big splash. I always think, you know, one of the things I most enjoy doing at film festivals is going to the collections of short films that play at them. And those are always really interesting. You're always going to see something that's going to be very fresh uh, and somewhat cutting edge. And then afterwards, there's a strong likelihood that you'll never be able to see any of those movies again, because no matter what we're talking about in terms of feature length distribution, short films have almost no distribution. I always think it's so strange that you think at least after a decade, you just put them online just so people could see the fucking thing. But, but there's so many short films I've seen that I have no way of ever seeing again. It's true, and it's hard to keep up with them. And then there's been sincere and I think very you know, well-done efforts to try to get these things online, to create mm -hmm. channels that just That's are true. short films, even within genre. Like I've, I've heard suggestions of like collections of genre, short films, like horror or whatever. And sure. uh, for whatever reason, every good idea I've heard has failed before it happened. 
you know, or it's gone away. It hasn't really executed. It existed for a while and went away. It's crazy to me. And and you'd think it would take off, right? Like people like short things, but yeah. for whatever reason, short films just haven't broken into the consciousness. And it's it's almost like if you are a short film director, you'd be better off just making a thing straight for YouTube in some ways. Because yeah. if it went viral, that in and of itself would be more interesting. Or I mean, or whatever effort you're going to put into that short film. You might as well just like keep you know putting that effort into eventually making a feature because even the least exposed feature seems to get more sure. uh, general interest than than uh, most short films. It's an interesting thing, and again, I have a lot of respect for short films. I love them actually, and I do wish that there was a platform that focused a little bit more on them. But I, I, it, I think what we're getting down to, and really the the main theme that we're talking about in regards to this is. Because this is a uh, art form that is fueled by commerce, uh, it means that if yeah. if there is no uh, no way to theoretically make some money off of something, then you're not going to have it available for the most part. And that you know that we are kind of in a luckier position now that maybe something like this cone group, which might not have like not everything that they uh, have released uh, has equal interest from the public as as a uh, as a whole but if you put them in a, an entire streaming category then you know they all kind of uh, exist alongside each other so you can have your godard documentary along with a french film that's fairly obscure and people are paying one price to have access to all of it but then again you only have available to you what someone else says you can have available to you it does make me feel like we should think about a, another show on this uh platform <laughs> that's focused on short films because I, yeah. I will say one time we had uh on horror business we had on uh my friend ashley who is uh does graveyard shift sisters you know she writes for fangoria she was one of the people who made that uh horror noir film sure. and uh, when we had her on she, you know it was specifically like okay well you know do you want to just be on or do you want to specifically cover uh black horror and she was like yeah i got some ideas and she ended up having us focus only on short films mm -hmm. partly because she felt like there were so many uh black women directors who were still right now working in short films because they couldn't get the funding to put a feature out at least at the time this was like two years ago and uh i was so appreciative of it because i don't make the time even when they're made available to me to watch short films the way i should and all three of the ones that she presented to us were very good and, and made me interested in those directors into the future. So maybe that's something that we could think about doing is like lifting up interesting short films. Granted, that would then add another show to this uh, platform, but who knows? <laughs> who knows? Maybe it will. Mostly, probably only if we come up with a punny name that we enjoy. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's, it's an interesting idea. I will say that when in the past I was writing about short films, I did find that the directors of those short films were so open to the idea of talking about them and because th it's so hard to get promotion for them. It's yeah. so hard to get the word out. Uh, it, it, I do think that there's a lot of value in that. I also think nobody would listen to that show. <laughs> For the exact reason that we're talking about, right? No as, one's gonna, as, as opposed to our hugely popular other shows on this. Thing. Well, look, you you have a podcast about Jackie Chan. You're going to get a certain number of people who are going to be interested in it. Even true, one like true. this, where we're talking about a fairly obscure movie, you got to have some either interest in either the two of us talking about a movie, whatever the fuck it might be, or you might have interest in this movie specifically. This movie that we're talking about today has a major star in it. It you know had a wide availability in the mid '80s. It's not so obscure, but the kind of movies that you and I sometimes watch, Liam, are so obscure that that very few people would ever have known about them. And that it's hard to podcast about that. I mean, we could do podcasts about a Serbian film or Cannibal Holocaust or some well-known controversial cult movie, and people would listen to us talk about it because they want to know what our feelings are on it. I don't think anyone out there is clamoring to hear what we have to say about scene of the crime. Hey, I'm talking myself out of even doing this podcast. <laughs> well, we better jump into it before you talk yourself fully out of it. All right, let's take a first break. Um, and when we come back, we're going to talk about 1986's scene of the crime. Why do you Écoute, tu peux raconter tous les mensonges que tu veux, ça m'est égal. Mais je t'interdis de penser qu'il va t'arriver quelque chose, tu m'entends Il ne peut rien t'arriver, rien 
In the woods, a 13-year-old boy is grabbed by an escaped convict and told to bring money later that day. The boy does as he's told, only to be attacked by the convict's partner. A murder ensues, and through happenstance, the murderer and the boy's mother form an alliance. It's scene of the crime from the year 1986, directed by uh, prolific French filmmaker André Tequinet, uh, who also uh, directed the film Wild Reads and Rendezvous. Very prolific, has movies uh, still being released up to this day. Uh, written by André Tequinet, uh, Pascal Bonitzer, and Olivier Assayas, uh, who uh, probably is more famous than anyone else involved with this movie, uh, aside from Catherine Deneuve. Of course, uh, Olivier uh, wrote and directed the films Carlos, Personal Shopper, Irma Vep, uh, lots of really well-known and beloved French films. But we are here, Liam, to talk about Scene of the Crime from the year 1986. That plot summary makes it seem like this is more like a, uh, a crime film to some extent, but sure. it's not really. No. It's really kind of like a psychological drama about this uh, transitionary period in the lives of both this 13-year-old kid and his mother, two characters that live in this kind of very scenic French village, I guess you would say, um, but but find themselves very distanced from the way that people live in this village. And that that's this distance isn't just in terms of, of the way that people um, exist on a day-to-day basis, but also with the relationships that they have with their own family. They just can't seem to find peace in the way that people live there. Um, and they're struggling. And they're basically this event, this crime that takes place is the thing that kind of knocks them out of, um, of their, I guess, doldrums is how I would call it uh, or how I would describe it. Uh, something that's going to force them to take action in their own lives, uh, either for the better or, well, I guess who knows, Liam, what did you think of scene of the crime? It was, it is a very engaging film. Um, I was kind of like wrapped up in it in a way that I wasn't expecting when it first started. It starts uh, somewhat abruptly and in a manner that I kind of thought was a strange decision. Mm-hmm. But actually, as the plot unfolds, I really began to appreciate the technical sort of filmmaking at, at work, not just the way it looks or... Uh, editing or any of those things, which are which are all great, but um, the narrative storytelling. There's a lot of places where we jump forward and then we then go back to fill in details, and uh, that can be done in a way that is very annoying or distracting. Mm-hmm. And I felt like in this film, it all worked for me. So on a technical level, everything worked. I thought the performances were, for the most part, very good. Um, the issue comes in for me in that I felt so emotionally distant from this movie. And this is a film in which we have, uh, uh, in theory, prison break, some amount of chases, Mm -hmm. uh, sex, and murder, multiple murders, and yet it has almost no drama because the film doesn't care about those events in and of themselves as much as it cares about the emotional lives of the characters. And yet I couldn't pierce through those emotional lives at all. (laughs) I couldn't find myself attaching to these characters or understanding fully their motivations other than by the end of the movie, it's clear that uh, the mother character is very much feeling mm, trapped by a world that has limitations. And and, and you get a little bit of that throughout the movie, that theme of like the uh, appearance of these escaped convicts Mm -hmm. is this like eruption in their lives. It's a unique event. And it's something that they haven't had any sort of unique event there because it's such a small world that you feel trapped in and you don't see a way out of. And I get all of that. However, other than just real, then understanding that she's finally feeling like maybe she needs something more, that none of this is right for her. Right. Um, other than that revelation, there's not much emotionally to the film that I was able to connect with. I don't really get her parents. I don't really get her uh, estranged husband other than that he's a jerk. I right. really don't get the co- the escaped convicts or their shared girlfriend. Or Yeah, that's what it seemed like. I'm yeah. Uh, and and this is probably the one that is the most upsetting. I don't really get the kid, and I yeah. feel like a lot rides on this kid. And uh, before people think like, oh well, you know, this is a problem, child actor. I don't think it's his performance. Me either. Regularly, yeah. he's asked to say lines that no twelve-year-old can deliver believably or with any conviction. 
Mm. He just says this like deep ass dark shit that you know he doesn't believe in and no one believes him as he's saying it. He's just there to say cryptic stuff that whoever wrote the script wants someone to say. So they give it to this kid and he can't own it. I mean, when he's like sad because he's a liar and everyone knows he's a liar, like that works. (laughs) But a lot of the deeper ways that he communicates this stuff to his mom and to his dad and all this, uh, the priest, all these things. It just doesn't work. It's like it's like the script doesn't do him any favors, and it's not about his performance at all. You know? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I do think that there's always the potential that that we're running into some translation issues. Mm-hmm. Though it mm-hmm. seems, you know, it, it's not. This is not a movie that's particularly hard to follow. Uh, recently, on one of our other podcasts, we talked about another coming of age movie uh, about a you know a, a a young man who is on the verge of reaching adulthood. In this movie, it's represented by uh, this character's about to have communion for the first time. Uh, and that's supposed to be, you know, a, a, a pretty significant transitionary period in his life. And that's why he's kind of facing this this scenario where he's finishing school. He's about to, I guess, enter high school. Um, he's not a good student. The, the local priest, who is the person, I guess, is his main teacher, obviously dislikes him, if not outright hates him. Um, and, and he is acting out as children of that age do but he's acting out in kind of not necessarily a violent way but he's telling lies as you suggested he is uh, disruptive i guess in school and he is a kind of a dark kid you know in terms of how he talks to his uh, parents who are broken up but he talks to his mother about death a lot and his dreams and i mean he just seems like a really complex person but like yourself liam i had a lot of trouble not relating to those feelings because i think a lot of children of that age feel that similar kind of way. But the way that he communicates those feelings really put me at a distance. Um, And also he's kind of annoying sometimes simply because he can't kind of snap out of it. And I know that's a little unfair because it's not like it doesn't represent reality in some way, but you don't want to see a character that just is mopey all the time, Uh, especially because that initial scene, like the way this movie kicks off that you were referring to is basically like this kid is gone to, collect flowers and then he encounters these criminals or a criminal that's hiding it's basically demands him to go find money it's like um uh not withering heights what am i thinking of great expectations uh you know it's it 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 starts out the same way very similar to great expectations actually now that i think about it but this movie is bound to take a much more dark and uh in some way sexually charged direction it's strange because at first it seemed to me that the the kid was the whole centerpiece of this movie but as the movie goes along uh his mother played by Catherine Deneuve becomes a much more central character to what we're going to see afterwards well I think it's it's about in some sense the way that they both feel trapped I mean the kid exactly it's they're having a parallel experience being a wild ass kid and because of where they're at that wild assness is like uh, completely unacceptable. He's he's breaking every rules of the society that they're in. When in reality, you know, he's he's an asshole, but that's he's not a monster. You know what right. I mean? But the attitude is like that. And then she's trapped because it's like once she married this dude, there's no hope. You know, the way that her parents—they're not even his parents. Her parents yeah. talk to him about her and the fact that she's opened a club. Which side note, the club is my favorite thing. It's just a glass room on the water. <laughs> That happens to have a bar in it, and yet Play, people like this is the dance coolest co- thing that's ever happened in this community. Play, playing dance covers of Ramon songs are playing. It's ridiculous. Play. So, like you know, clearly there is some sort of cultural conflict. There's a sense in which these characters feel uh, oppressed by the society they're in. There's a bit of like an existentialist thing happening. I think is like underneath this. But there's no emotion. I don't understand the emotional worlds of these characters. And I probably wouldn't have to if there was more going on that I could connect with on like a narrative level. But the movie keeps having these dramatic moments that it doesn't care about. It cares about, it seems to me at least, the emotional worlds of these characters. And I don't understand. I don't I don't understand her relationship to her, uh, you know, a strange spouse. I mean, I get her strange spouse is, from what I can tell, a misogynist. That's basically his whole character. He's a misogynist, period. That's it. That's the whole thing. But I don't understand her motivations. I don't understand her son's motivations. And they're not mysterious enough that I think the movie is about me figuring out the motivations either. It just seems it seems like the movie thinks you get it, and I don't get it. So part of the what happens in this movie is that Catherine Deneuve's character 
um, encounters this criminal who has murdered right. basically his best friend uh, because his best friend tried to murder her son, though she doesn't know about all these pieces connecting together. She encounters him because he comes to her club. And she immediately has this connection with him. And I guess, because it can't be based on his personality, that this is sort of a sexual awakening that she's encountering. Or she's just, you know, she finds him intriguing, but... Basically, she just really wants to have sex with this guy. And, you know, to the point where she goes well out of her way to assist him, even though it becomes clear very quickly that if he's not a criminal, that he at least is involved in some shady dealings. He has escaped from uh, a local prison, uh, I guess, (laughs) under some sort of there was confusion around a hunger strike. Him and his buddy escaped from prison. And, I mean, their plan, I guess, is to just go on the run because... As you've already referred to, Liam, they have this uh, woman who had assisted them in in their criminal activity before. She's going to connect with them after the escape, and she's very upset to find out that this guy has killed, um, you know, the third part of their pair or their pair, their their, their threesome. Their uh, their thruple. Their thruple, exactly. Uh, so, like yourself, I had a lot of trouble kind of understanding the psychological motivation behind what Catherine Deneuve's character is uh is doing her decision making however i do think that there's something at the core that is very relatable the idea that if you have lived this kind of dull life but you've always wanted more out of it and then something enters your life completely unexpected that awakens this interest in yourself and just makes you remember the things that you used to be passionate about she mentions that you know when she was younger she always wanted to go to paris that was her plan and then she got married and all of this all of her plans just started to center around her relationship and her son and all that. And suddenly this is this new possibility of escape that's provided to her. Of course, it's a very toxic kind of escape. This isn't a good guy that she's run into necessarily. He he might seem sensitive, but he also seems extremely damaged. Um, But she decides to pursue this, you know, even with some hesitancy to wherever it goes to the point where at the end, she's ready to basically leave her life entirely, just run off with this guy. I mean, she does say that she's going to come back for her son, but like that's what she's ready to do. But of course, that <laughs> that ends in tragedy. It's such a strange sequence where she goes to visit her mother, basically to tell her, look, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I know that it seems crazy. I know that you might hate me if I do this, but this is what I'm going to do with my life. And she makes this decision, and literally hours later, her... Her, her, the person she's going to run off with is is shot and presumably almost murdered. We see at the end that he he could still survive. Um, and and right after they make love, and, and it, it's and her son sees them making love. Boy, I'll tell you, I think you wonder about the psychological state of everyone at the end of this movie compared to at the beginning. Right, right. But it is a the kind of movie where I don't think it has a lot more going on than what we see on the surface. I mean, we can wonder about the psychological state and the transition that these people are going through. I will say that one of the more interesting parts is at the very end. So this kid has gone through all of this, right? He's been threatened. He has this, you know, amazing um, scene where after the communion, they have this lunch, the whole family gets together. That really is kind of the the uh, hinge point of the entire movie where you have, right. you know, it's supposed to be, okay, we've gotten to this point. The, the family is together. This is kind of the, the moment where the decisions are going to be made. And then the kid is asked about the wish that he made during his communion. And his wish is that his school gets bombed and everyone gets crushed and killed. <laughs> I mean, he, he, this extremely dark and distressing thing that he says in front of everybody, and it creates this in- really awkward moment where everyone kind of separates and then comes back together again. It's really beautifully filmed, by the way. The locations in this are, are amazing to look at. Unbelievable. But, you know, that to me, it's like, uh, it, it, I wouldn't say like this is the most entertaining scene necessarily, but it is the one that's most intriguing because you're like, well, we know what this kid is all about for the most part. He's just, you know, he... He does not belong in this situation that he's found himself in to the point where uh, a little bit later he runs away from this school and and connects up with the the woman of this thruple and almost tries to run off with her. He basically asks her, would you take me if the your situation was different? Um, her decision, by the way, is to let him off on the side of the road and then drive her car into a wall, Liam. Well, she did just kill her lover. She did just kill, or at least presumably killed her lover. Uh, so, you know, not not a happy ending for anyone involved. But so all the kid goes through all of this. And then at the end, he's staying with his father. 
And his father asks him, you know, what does he want? You know, a big question. But really, he's just asking, what do you want right now? And the kid's just like, I'd like to go for a bike ride. And we see at the end that he goes on this bike ride. And I just, I'm wondering, and I'm going to ask you directly, Liam, what do you think that that represents? Has he gotten out the other side and actually become more psychologically healthy? Or is this just kind of living moment to moment uh, in this wider scheme where his mother is now apparently going to jail because of her complicity with this criminal? I mean, how screwed up is this kid at the end? I don't know. And I, I, the film... You are in some ways underplaying how the film really wants to conflate his bike ride with her ride. Yes, because they're cutting back and forth. Absolutely. The intercutting suggests this is catharsis for both of these people. Absolutely. For what this is. okay, but this is what I'm saying, Doug. This film suffers because it is so good in that (laughs) there's so much thought put into so much of this movie that I refuse to write off the decisions that were being made. Okay. Therefore, they should add up to something, even if that something is a sense of mystery and confusion that I'm left questioning. Okay, but why this? Why that? And instead, what I'm left with is, I feel like this was intentional. What was the intention? You know, like, Mm -hmm. I know you're making a clear decision here. So tell me what that decision was, because it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and, and, And I'm more than willing, if someone would like to come to the aid of this movie to accept that this is on me that there's there is something at play here and i just was distant from it and was unable to connect with it that would make more sense than uh this very well made well thought out movie just does a bunch of random shit and there's no real explanation for it because that's how it felt to me again not that it's like um avant-garde and like people are doing weird strange things it's just that i never connected with any of the emotional worlds of the characters let alone what i'm supposed to understand about what i'm being shown right because there's a there's there's the emotional worlds of the characters there's a second emotional world right there's the emotional world of what the director is trying to tell me what 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 i'm supposed to be feeling and i'm watching his he's writing off she's writing to prison she's stuck to her guns and said this is the truth and i will live by the truth Yes, because she's but, basically been given the option, right? That there's yeah. a write-up, a confession that this criminal has given in hospital saying that he coerced her, basically letting her off the hook entirely. But she says, look, this is not true. I'm going to stick with my guns, even if it incriminates me and forces me to have to go to prison, as if this going to prison is is you know as substantial as if she ran off with him. It's still something that's going to break her away from her life. It's apparently the note on which we are to end the film. And I am left wondering why. And and, and and I think that the issue is not, let me be clear, I'm making it sound like this whole movie is confusing. It's not. No. On the surface, the movie makes sense. But there is, um, there are plenty of movies you watch that tell a story where you maybe aren't totally connecting with the characters and their emotional lives. But it's not the end of the world because the story is gripping, surprising, exciting. And in theory, that should be this movie. There's a lot of crazy shit that happens in this movie when you actually think about it Mm -hmm. the movie though never sensationalizes those moments it's never even like you know uh her potential lover our criminal who's by the way saved her son's life but also brought him into a world of danger so he's like positive and negative the scene in which he is shot and maybe murdered maybe just injured is as unsensational as possible in that moment only in her response to that tragedy do we see the sensation, the drama, the pathos. You know what yes. I mean? Mm-hmm. That, to me, represents how the film is making a decision. The actions don't matter. The action moments aren't what's important here. Even the dramatic murder, when he's murdering his cohort, his friend, this partner, is played in a way that it isn't overly dramatic. That's true. And it, all, and it plays like a memory, so it's about the character anyway. And mm-hmm. yet none of the emotions that these are meant to connect with were like readily available to me. And it created a distance to the movie that kept me from like super loving the movie, even though I think it's very well done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, I mean, I, I feel very similarly where I liked it. I definitely did. And I didn't, I wasn't felt, I wasn't left cold by it necessarily. I just, the, the, I do struggle with the takeaway from it. I mean, I think that at its core, it, it's basically a coming of age movie for both the kid and his mother. 
You know, she's coming of middle age, basically, where, you know, you right. reach that point where it's just like, where where is the next step? What is the next step in my life? What is it going to look like? You know, what do I have to do to achieve the things that I want to achieve in life? And where am I now that's stopping me from doing that? And in this case, it it, it it's not like this is such a bizarre, horrible event at its core, right? I mean, it is a murder, but like you said, it's not shown gruesomely. It very much is something that kind of is taking place in the background. This kid is threatened at one point, and obviously, you know, almost murdered by one of these these guys, but that's not really... That's not really the kind of drama this movie is interested in. It's really more about the familial relationships. I mean, the the the, the relationship between Catherine Deneuve's character and her parents are is very interesting. I think her mother is an amazing uh, character. Uh, she's played by Danielle Dario in this, and she's terrific. Um, and her father as well, who is this crotchety guy who just wants to go fishing all the time just to kind of escape from anything. He's, like, mostly deaf. There's this amazing moment where... She she wants him to come back to the communion lunch after everyone is dispersed, after this kid made things really awkward. And she's like, like, why are you like this? Why don't you come back? And he's like, people think of me as this kind person. But, but, but I guess the fishing is a way for him to kind of just deal with these really negative feelings he has about everything. I think he picks up some bait and just throws it to show her, uh, her what she thinks, what he thinks of them and what he thinks of the situation. And it's kind of quietly devastating at that moment. Uh, so these are, are characters that are more than just, um, that have a complexity to them. But are we supposed to think theoretically that her parents are people who've gone through a similar thing that she's going through or in that they've just decided that this is the life that they're going to go with, even if they're not completely satisfied with it? Or is there something unusual about her and her son that, that a lot of people are perfectly fine with this lifestyle and living within these these uh, conventions and borders of where they live. But for them, there's just something within them that makes them want something different or more. It's, it's not clear to me what the film's take on the characters are, is rather. Um, Again, it's not uninteresting. I don't find the confusion uninteresting. I'm just not convinced that that was the goal. Right. The film plays to me my my. Uh, I guess in here I'm working with intuition. My intuition watching the movie is that the film thinks I'm with it. That I'm, right. That I'm following along, and I and I wasn't emotionally speaking. Even if the story, it's there. It's whatever. Um. It's it's whatever's behind that just wasn't available to me. Um. Uh, and I think you're right with these very interesting characters of her parents, but but how does that play out in what's going on with her, um, and in the interesting dynamics then between her and and her uh, and her strange husband, mm-hmm. let alone this awful priest, by the way, who yeah. like is actually terrible, but the, the film doesn't directly come out how terrible he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and realistically terrible, I would say. He rides a motorcycle around, oh, right. and re- even from the beginning, he he is. Not on this kid's side. And Catherine Deneuve's character, as his mother, is just like, you know, is there anything we can do? And he's basically like, no, this kid sucks. We're going to kick him out. I mean, that he is unwilling to bend at all, to the uh, uh, except for the one point where the the kid, for a very good reason, didn't attend his um, confession before his communion. And the father is basically like, I'm, I'm not going to give you your first communion because you didn't come to confession. And then Catherine Deneuve has to come out and basically like, well... You know, uh, he was taking care of me, even though that's not really what was happening. And then he was willing to take the confession. It's like the whole thing is like, as long as this kid takes communion, everything's going to be okay. And then he takes it. They have this lunch. And for one moment, everyone's like, everything's going to be okay. And then the kid is told to say what his wish is. And it just makes everyone realize, you know, one no one just grows up and becomes a mature person that's going to be part of this society in one fell swoop, in one move like a communion, that there's a lot still going on in this kid's head that he needs to resolve before he's going to be able to move on and find some sort of comfort in his life. But this is a disturbed kid, and his mother is disturbed. Well, and in some ways, it's really about this kid just not being... I mean, there's this powerful moment where his mother is begging him not to tell anyone. Yes. And he tells her, like, I couldn't anyway... And chooses to hide what then is revealed to us that he already has. Yeah. He's already told the priest, and he's just relying on the priest not believing him. And what's funny is you're talking about this little speech he makes at the at the lunch. That's actually how the priest figures it out. Yeah. 
He's like, oh, the reason you are so negative is because this thing you told me that I assumed was a lie is true. And now that I know it's true, we're going to go to the police. Yeah. And um, that should be a super powerful moment. And it didn't quite build for me the way I wanted it to. It was kind of like, okay, all right. You know what I mean? And and ultimately, I, I, I appreciate that. I like I actually like the idea of the story of being this kid who can just not be honest and honestly that's sort of part of the story of the film something so extraordinary has happened to him that he couldn't possibly tell people because he's not an honest child right so he immediately knows no one will believe me there is no place i can go i have poisoned all wells yeah so there is no well from which there's no safe harbor for me because i all harbors know that i am untrustworthy um and so that's compelling and yet Emotionally, the film never takes you there. I think partly because this kid is too busy being kind of obscure and mysterious. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's interestingly one of the things on the Internet Movie Database uh, profile of this movie suggests that the video version of this movie is seventy-four minutes long. So it cuts out about twenty minutes out of the movie. Ugh. Uh, it's hard to imagine where those twenty minutes would come from. I'm not saying that this is a you know so tight movie that there's no wiggle room in regards to it, but I mean the reason that Liam and I are struggling a little bit with some of the motivations behind these characters is that it, it it it's left a lot to interpretation. But at least we're pulling from these moments that that kind of paint a picture of who these characters are supposed to be and why they're doing the things that they're doing. Twenty minutes removed of this, I can't even imagine making sense of that. No, that actually sounds crazy to me. I I feel like that wouldn't be a wa- that wouldn't be a watchable film in a sense. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it would be hard to understand that movie. So with all of that said, look, I like this movie. I do think it's worthwhile. I do wish it is one was one that had a little bit more visibility so we could have this conversation with more people uh, and try to get uh, some more kind of closure on what some of the messages of it might be. But with with all of our discussion on it, Liam, is this something that you would recommend to people? Is this, as the show's title is, a forgotten gem? It's hard because I, I really was frustrated with it in a lot of ways. And because of that frustration, it'd be easy for me to say no. But actually... I think technically it's so well done Mm -hmm. that it would be interesting for people to rediscover it if only as a conversation about like, is this movie putting on airs or is there something more here that like, you know, that we can get to or or maybe we're wrong. Maybe we're projecting and it's really a much more simple story and whatever other emotional tangents like we're we're just wrong about that. I don't know. So I kind of think people should give it a chance, especially if you're someone who appreciates French film. Maybe you've seen some of this director's other work. Um, I I, I don't know. I'm not unhappy. I watched it. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites, but but I would like to have that conversation with more people. I think it's a conversation starting film. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting movie. It is one that um, I think has I think we've been struggling even in our conversation about what how much depth it necessarily has. But at the very least, there's kind of something universal at its core, which is about people feeling uneasy in the place that they are in the world and whether they uh, can escape from it and whether there can be a single incident that might force them to uh, to kind of push their way out of that. But in particular, I'd be interested to hear people's take on the ending and how yeah. how how optimistic we're supposed to feel about these characters after what they've been through. Uh, if you do have any feelings or thoughts on Scene of the Crime from the year 1986, you can certainly contact us through social media or on our website at cinemasmorgasbord.com. We'll talk about that in just a second. But Liam, before we tell people how they can find out more about this show and other shows, uh, what are we going to cover on the next episode of Forgotten Gems? Well, Doug, people are probably familiar with director Barry Jenkins and his breakout hit Moonlight and his follow-up, If Beale Street Could Talk, but it doesn't seem like there's as much conversation about his first movie, Medicine for Melancholy, which was released in 2008, stars Wyatt Cenac, and uh, got a lot of attention and hype at the time, but didn't seem to um, infiltrate as many film circles as I uh, new. Uh, It it seemed like Barry Jenkins kind of came out of nowhere, Uh, and then when Moonlight was such a hit... A lot of people recommended check out Medicine for Melancholy, but I don't know how many people actually checked it out. I know I, for one, never got a chance to. So I'm excited to explore it, to watch it and talk about it with you. I mean, I, I'm very curious about this. Like yourself, I had certainly heard about it in uh, in the kind of wake of 
uh, Moonlight's massive success. But it is a movie that, I don't know if forgotten is necessarily the right word, simply because Barry Jenkins has gotten so much kind of profile post-Moonlight. But uh, this is still a movie that I don't think is discussed in a lot of detail in the circles that we run in. Uh, so it's one that I'm really interested in checking up on. On the next episode of Hidden Gems, we're going to talk about 2008's Medicine for Melancholy. Liam, if people want to check out more uh, about Cinema Smorgasbord or podcasts in general connected with Cinepunks, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, they can go to Cinepunks.com and check out the writing and the huge family of podcasts there, including a new show called Bugs B-Sides. It's an exploration of music uh, with Joe Vitello, who used to host the horror show. Um, and he has all kinds of interesting guests on and they, uh, cover years in music. They cover genres, they cover events. The first episode, there's a bunch of uh, episodes available on SoundCloud, but the first episode on Cinepunks is actually going through, uh, the samples from the RZA battle. You know, they've been doing the Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. 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 And so they go through the music that they were using in that battle. That's interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, they can also go to cinemasporgasport.com just to check out all the various uh, permutations of this particular show. Uh, and they can check us out on social media, whether that's Cinepunk, C-A-N-E-P-U-N-X, that's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. They can check out Cinema Smorgasbord on Twitter, Cinema Smorg, <laughs> at Cinema Smorg, S-M-O-R-G. Uh, and then they can follow our personal accounts on Twitter if they want. I mean, I don't know why you'd want to, but if you wanted to. Mine's pretty I'm good. A- yeah, yours is actually very good. Uh, I'm at Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z, and yours is at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. That's terrific, Liam. And also upcoming, uh, there's going to be a Cinepunks uh, marathon of films in the near future. It's at the, it'll probably be within the week after this uh, episode is released. If you want to find out more details about that, another good reason to check out Cinepunks on Facebook, uh, or uh, I, I guess on their Twitter as well, but certainly on Facebook, you'll get the info about that marathon. We've posted it on all our socials, and hopefully this week we're going to have an uh, even a, an article about it so that if people don't feel like searching it out on, on social, maybe you aren't into social media, you can at least go to the website and click something there. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Check it out. Watch more movies, everyone. Stay safe. Stay comfortable. Uh, and, uh, well, maybe not that comfortable stay uncomfortable i'll say liam and and we'll be back very soon with another hidden gem good night everybody yep (laughs) pt boat on the way to better they used to make a living by speaking the banana now i'm a guy for the cia for the usa baby baby make me logo Baby, baby, make me mambo Sent this spot on